Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions, visit us on the web, www.theporchchurch.tv. I feel like that bumper gets longer every time. Um, hey, happy, I just out of practice, it's been like four weeks since uh, I've been preaching with you all, so happy to uh, be back. Happy Father's Day. So glad that uh, we're a part of your celebration and recognition of the fathers in your life. And, and before we move on from that point, I just want to take a moment to, to camp right there. I don't know if you understand how significant it is, dads especially, that you prioritize being here on a Sunday morning not just on Father's Day, not just on a day on the calendar that has your name on it, but as a regular spiritual influence. There's a well-researched project that looks at spirituality in families, specifically in kids. And if mom and dad go to church regularly, 33% of their children will be regular church attenders. 41% will be somewhat connected with a church. So that's like 74% of both mom and dad are engaged. If mom is not engaged as much and dad is the primary driving factor, that percentage drops from 74% to 67% that have some type of relationship with their church. But don't miss this. If we flip that on its head, if mom is the primary spiritual voice and dad is either an irregular attender or absent from church or not driving the spiritual conversation, the number plummets from around that 70% line to 2 to 3% of their children will have any context, any interaction with church, whether regular church attendance or irregular church attendance. So dads, when I say it's important that you're in church, not just on Father's Day, but as a regular habit and pattern, you have a disproportionate effect on the spirituality of your household. That's not to bring down mom's work there, of course, important in the equation, but on Father's Day, I just want that sobering fact to ring true in your minds. Dads, this is a mantle that we carry. It's an opportunity that we have, and so thank you for being here on Father's Day. Uh, it's, uh, it's actually surprising. Father's Day is typically uh, the second worst attended Sunday of the entire year. Thankfully, y'all didn't get that message, though, so uh, I'm really happy to hear that. Uh, I was planning on just doing something nice and easy this morning, but since y'all are here, we, we might as well go for it, huh? Thanks, Billy. I appreciate that. One of you is awake out there. So here we go. We're finishing our series on life. We've been talking about the things that make life worth living. How do we win at the game of life? But not just the board game, not just winning kind of on a superficial level, but how do we win in the areas that actually matter? So we've talked about simplicity and generosity. We've talked about love and compassionate mission. We've looked at scripture and prayer and life empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so today on Father's Day, it's appropriate that we wrap up this series by talking about the role that family plays in winning the game of life. In short, family is essential to winning the game of life. The equation doesn't balance if there isn't that shared family relationship, if there isn't people that we bring along the journey. Success is found in the relationships that we create and cultivate, not simply in the things that we accumulate, right? 
on some level you know this. You've experienced it. You've seen it play out that at the end of your life, you can't take anything that you earn, all of the things that you work for. Nothing lasts forever except, of course, the relationships that we make, which is quite the tragedy of our young parenting days. Far too often we find ourselves in our prime earning years struggling to balance work and home life, climbing the corporate ladder and raising young children. And at the same time as we try to balance this, we tend to overcorrect in one direction or the other. We're traveling to try to make a sale, to try and achieve and succeed. And and we mean well. We want our family to be happy and provided for. If we sat down over a cup of coffee, you would say, the reason that I work so hard is to provide a safe and loving place for my family. They're the reason that I work so hard. But all too often, what ends up happening is that we succeed in our work, we succeed in our jobs, and we earn lots of money only to find that our relationships at home have grown cold. Our love for our spouse has grown cold and distant. Our kids grow up separated, not knowing or depending on us. And when we're ready to start plugging back into our family, they're teenagers, they're disconnecting, they're soon off on their own. And this, among other reasons, is why divorce skyrockets after the kids leave the house. We've been living separately for so long, but now without sports schedules and kids to keep us together, we just as soon go our separate ways. And it isn't until the end of our life, until we've burned through multiple relationships, until our kids are grown with grandkids that we don't even know, that we're retired, maybe on a beach, maybe not, but we wake up to this realization that we won the wrong game. We won in the areas that ultimately didn't matter. We may have won at capitalism. We may have won at our bank accounts. We may have won at retirement. But what did we lose in the process? Matthew 6.27 says, Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life, I would add into that worry, can any one of you work your way to more time? Can any of us earn more than what we've been given? Can we actually gain anything more substantial than the life that we've already received? The saddest thing that, that could happen is that some 20, 30, 40 years from now, you wake, up, you wake up and realize that you won the wrong game, that you made money, you worked 80 hours a week, you commuted two hours each way, countless days travel, and at the end, what is there to show for it? Even if you get the big mansion, even if you get the retirement package that you dreamed of, would you trade your marriage and your relationships with your kids for that day? You would say, of course not, right? All of you are well, rational people. You understand this. This isn't a surprise for you, but I fear that sometimes our actions are telling a different story. We all know in these moments, if we were to sit down and have a conversation about things that ultimately mattered, we know that we would come to the right conclusion. But do the actions that we take put us on a path that we would end up at the end of the, of the goal that we so desire? That we would bring the people that we share it with, friends and family, people who are committed to us through thick and thin, but when it comes to our day-to-day living, far too often we prioritize those things that take away from what we want at the end of life. 
Again, this isn't a new thought or a new reminder. We started off this series having a similar conversation. So maybe on Father's Day, this is just a good reminder for you. Maybe if you're watching this later on Father's Day and you're already convicted, uh, this is just a good reminder for you to go, you know, you're right. I need to maybe focus more on not just the work that I do, but on the results that my work produces for me. I need to be there more for my family, to be present more, to work less and enjoy the fruits of my labor more now, and that's a good thing, but if all we did today was talk about the ways in which our lives could be lived better, I think we'd be missing out on a major spiritual component of what it is to live in the kingdom and family of God. We could decide to live better lives, we could decide to write a better story, but at the end of it all, if there isn't a faith component, if our spirituality and faith isn't lived out in the context of this life, then really what are we doing gathered here this morning? So today I'd like to challenge us not just to be invested in the lives of our family here and now, but to turn our attention to how we share life with a spiritual family and what the significance of really incorporating spiritual family into our winning equation for the game of life looks like. Does that sound all right with you? Cool, go get another burrito or coffee if you need it. I'll watch you do it. Winning, <clears throat> winning at life here and now doesn't necessarily equate to winning life in eternity, right? The things that we do here and now may or may not have an impact on eternity. We could win the game of life and lose out on our heavenly perspective. However, winning in eternity absolutely pays dividends here and now. Playing the long game, playing for eternity makes life better as we go through that process. Eternity isn't something that's out there somewhere. Eternity is something that's birthed in our hearts that we carry and nurture and foster within us. Now, in Scripture, there's two primary metaphors for spiritual growth and maturity. One is the word discipleship, right? You've heard this word before. Discipleship is a teacher-student relationship. It's a conversation about learning. Think classroom environment. Think somebody modeling for you or learning by repetition. Discipleship is the process of learning from a teacher. Being a student is what the word literally means. That's one way that we grow spiritually. We are discipled. We follow after Christ, we follow after other spiritual leaders, and we learn more about how to be who God made us to be through following their example. The other predominant metaphor in Scripture, though, for spiritual growth is very, very simple. It's something very, very familiar. The, the model that's given to us time and time over again in Scripture for spiritual growth and maturity is one of family. Family, the, the family structure, being in a committed group of people who are born together, who are living a life together, who are in close proximity, committed to each other. Family is the context by which spiritual growth occurs. You might even say that the primary situation for discipleship is within the context of family. Family is the metaphor that's woven throughout all of Scripture. It's in every single book. Jesus talks about it. Paul talks about it. It's the example that's given for us for how spiritual growth occurs. In his letters to the churches, Paul uses this familial language. He greets people with brothers and sisters. He calls Timothy his son in the faith. He recognizes fathers in the faith as people who go before him. And this isn't just cute language that he's using 
using. This is an actual application that he's trying to draw attention to and to say the way that spirituality works is to fold it into a family together, not just the family of birth, but in a committed community of people pursuing Jesus together. These were deeply affectionate terms that communicated a reality to the relationship that they were trying to live out in following Jesus. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament church, to follow Christ was to literally join a new family, to become a part of a larger social context, to leave perhaps an old family and to begin becoming a part of a new one. This is somewhat foreign for us today. We wouldn't think through those actions or prescriptions. When we would decide to go to a church, sometimes we'd take family into account, other times not. Sometimes we absolutely want to go to the same church as our parents, and sometimes we would absolutely not like to go to the same church you're with me this morning. That's fantastic, right? In fact, though, in, in many nations today, in many cultures today, the idea of becoming a Christian, of following after Jesus, they understand better than we do that there's a deeply familial commitment that goes on there, that it is a leaving of a past life and awakening to something new. Nowhere is this more predominant than in Muslim cultures and contexts. When people in a Muslim culture decide to make the decision to follow Jesus, they know that it means means their family will disown them, that they'll be kicked out of the house, that they won't be allowed even to stay in town. And so for them, when they make the decision to follow Jesus, it isn't merely an intellectual assent. It isn't just a, yes, I believe and raised my hand one time in service. There is a full-on commitment to leaving an old style of life, to leaving an old family and signing up to be a part of a new community, to being a part of a new family. This is the image that they carry through them, and it's woven all throughout the New Testament. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself addresses these concerns in Mark chapter 3. Uh, you've heard this story before, right? Jesus is sitting around teaching. He's actually away from his family, and so he begins teaching the disciples, and he has some fairly hard lessons to say. And at one point, his actual family, his blood family is much as it's blood, family. it gets a little convoluted, virgin birth, all that stuff, right? But it's like his actual family, like they, they show up and they call from, they say, hey, Jesus, we want to talk to you. Again, very, very family-focused culture, small town, Bethlehem, Nazareth. These are all places where everybody knew everybody. Everybody was connected. Everybody knew who belonged to who and what their stories were and what their bad stories were as well as their good stories. And so it's in this context that the story occurs. You've heard it a hundred times before, but I want you to hear it in a different way in the context of what it means to be a part of a very, very nuclear, very, very small but extended family. This is Mark chapter 3, verse 31. It says, then Jesus's mother and brothers arrived. Again, think physical mothers and brothers. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. Now a crowd was gathering around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Jesus steps aside. He says, who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him, and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. 
Now, again, we can kind of translate this to our 21st century ears. It may not be weird for us to understand it in that context, especially in church world, right? You, you may know people who greet you every morning with a, hey, brother, hey, sister, how you doing? Not, not that kind of greeting, right? What Jesus is saying here is that the new relationships that are formed in the kingdom of God form something deeper and more meaningful than simply familial connections, His attempt is not to undermine those connections. He's merely drawing a line in the sand to say when it comes to our spiritual maturity, when it comes to our spiritual growth, those things happen in terms of a family of faith. They happen among a committed group of people, a committed group of individuals who are committed to following Jesus and who are committed to each other through thick and thin as if they were a blood-related family. Jesus in his own ministry time articulates this and says, this is what it's like to live and to grow and to function in the kingdom of God. And again, for him to say this in that context would have carried significant weight. It would have been blasphemous. It would have been adulterous. It would have been to say to disown his family and to say, no, I no longer belong to them. Instead, I now belong here. In a social media age, it might not be that rare to say that on one day and then reconnect a week later and on and off and hot and cold, but in this day and in this century, this was a very, very demonstrative statement. And Jesus' disciples took him literally on what it meant to form a family of faith around pursuing spiritual things and spiritual maturity. We looked at Paul's letters and how he uses familial language, but even in the early and new church, listen to the language that they developed. This is Acts 2, 42, we've talked about it hundreds of times. It says, they, this is the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, think family meals, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can you hear the the family undertones that even at this very early stage in the church were starting to be formed up? Following Jesus wasn't just a decision. It wasn't just a one day a week thing. It wasn't just coming together for praise and worship and then going back out scattered into the world. It was a investment. It was a living together. It was a growing intentionally with people, people to hold you up when you're down, people to challenge you when you become stagnant. The, The metaphor for spiritual growth in the New Testament is that of a family, is that of a group of people committed to each other and committed to growth together. That's point number two there, that life shared with loving family is the context for transformation. Life shared with loving family is the context for transformation. That's because any significant growth, anything of transformative nature, anything that takes a reality to itself is found in the context of a committed relationship. It's found in a commitment, a a died-to-yourself, committed-to-the-other-person kind of loving relationship, right? This is why in our marriages, arguably the most sanctifying relationship that you have because it holds up a mirror to yourself and it exposes how selfish you really are. Amen? 
Are we there this morning, right? Like marriage is no walk in the park, not because your spouse isn't perfect, even though they're not, but because in the midst of the conversation, you become aware to how imperfect and broken and flawed that you are. And so you go to your spouse and you say, hey, I'm committed to you. I love you, but I'm going to need your help with some of these things. I'm broken. I'm flawed. I've got things to do and, and things to work on myself. And the way that we do that is that we make a vow to each other. Right? We vow through thick and thin and sickness and in health, no matter what happens, I'm going to be committed to you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to respect you. And we're going to get through this together. Because transformation, growth, maturity happens in the confines of a committed relationship, a vow-type relationship. So when the New Testament talks about the family of God, when it talks about forming a new community and a new belief system together, it does so in the context of an earthly family to represent the meaning by which we grow together. It happens in a committed, died-to-each-other, vowing the best-for-each-other kind of relationship. This is why at the porch we exist to invite people to belong to a family, to create relationships that last, the promise to walk with each other through thick and thin. The problem, of course, there is that we live in a highly mobile society, right, where if something isn't convenient, if, if uh, DoorDash won't deliver to my door, then I'm going to order food somewhere else. If something isn't easy, if something isn't close, if something isn't going to serve our needs, we just move on. We move on really, really quickly. We're too busy to set down actual roots. And as a result, when we talk about a controversial subject in church, instead of leaning in and learning together and saying, hey, I disagree, and have you thought about this, we bounce. I don't like that. I don't like what that guy, I don't like what that guy said. I don't like how that made me feel. I don't like the music. I don't like the coffee. I don't like the kids' ministry. I just don't like it. And so instead of discipleship resulting from committed relationships together, from family conversations, instead church looks a lot like, I just don't want to be tied down. I just don't want to be committed somewhere. I'm just going to find something that feels good, that moves along. And the reality there is that we stagnate our growth. Our spiritual maturity is stymied because we don't have a committed relationship by which we grow together. We don't feel connected. We don't feel like we know anyone. And sometimes the root cause is that we aren't committed to each other no matter what. Our vows sound like we'll be here as long as it's convenient and whenever we can until something better comes along or until something offends our sensibilities. Is it any wonder that church isn't any more intimate than the office that perhaps you work out or the hangout that you have with your friends. We aren't doing what Jesus called us to do without being a part of a committed family of faith. And without that basis for commitment, without that ability to trust each other, you'll find it difficult to grow, not just here, but anywhere. You'll find it difficult for your faith to mature, not whether you're in this church or that church, but because you don't have a committed group of people rallying around you through life's ups and downs. It's hard to grow together when we're not planted and rooted somewhere. Scripture is fundamentally clear. You were created for community, to belong to a community, to have a family of faith to walk alongside with. It's how faith works, and it's how people work. And here we're doing our best to carve out and create a sense where people can have family. But let me tell you a secret. It'll never work if you don't buy into it. 
It doesn't work to just dip your toe in the waters. It doesn't work if you don't feel it. It doesn't work if you have one foot in the door and one foot out the door. It doesn't work to only be here once a month. It doesn't work if you're not in a small group. It doesn't work if you're not serving in a meaningful capacity. Listen, church as a hobby is lousy. Find a different hobby, please. You have my permission. Church as life, though, church as the family of God, church as a place where we go to find spiritual connection in a committed group of people who have our back, church as a place where we get connected with Jesus, where we exist to invite people into those relationships, let me tell you, there's nothing better. There's nothing on the face of the planet that exists better. I've had some conversations around the language that we use here at the porch for inviting people to belong to a family and saying, well, what if, what if people have a bad family experience? What if by inviting them into something, you're inadvertently driving them away? What if they're not looking for that type of commitment? What if they just want something a little bit more easy to get started on? And I say, no, what we, what we want to do here is to reimagine and re-envision what it looks like to be the family of God. We want to invite people into the depth of that relationship because that's where transformation, spiritual growth happens. That's where Jesus is. And so to that end, belonging to a family here at the porch means that we're going to do those types of things. It's why we fight for it so hard. It's why we're pushing so hard, because we want to create something meaningful in our relationships. And here's the reality, point number three. Life shared with loving family is something that everyone is looking for. Life shared with loving family is something that everyone is looking for. Loneliness is rampant in our society. We've never been more connected but felt more alone. I heard a quote this week that said, we're making life easier but less meaningful. Does that resonate with you at all? Life gets easier, computers, internet, all of those things make life easier, but the meaning, the purpose seems to be harder to grasp and harder to find. Nearly 50% of Americans say that they feel lonely. lonely. Loneliness has been linked directly to addictive behaviors as well as depression and suicide. And it's been researched as more damaging to our health than obesity. And it's risen to epic proportions in our society. Just simply being lonely, not having a community and a family around. I think of especially here of Denver as so many people are not from here. Right? They're moving here for jobs or opportunities or kids. So many people are disconnected from the very things that give them life, and they're missing out on that opportunity. Mother Teresa has, is quoted as saying it this way, loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. And I just want to say to you boldly and proclaim that the answer to loneliness, the answer to an epidemic in our society, the answer to people feeling disconnected from each other and ultimately from their purpose and meaning in life, which we would say is God, is supposed to be found here. It's a part of what it means to be the family of God, to be a church. It's not just actual blood relationships. It's the relationships that we create, the strength of our will and commitment here. It's making a choice to be somewhere, making it a priority, and sticking with it through thick and thin, not just leaving at the first inconvenience. And here's the truth, right? Chances are your friends and neighbors are lonely. 
that they're looking for a place to belong, that they're looking for a place where they can find significance and meaning. Your coworkers are lonely to some degree. The moms at your kid's school are lonely, and they're looking for a place where they can find something worth giving themselves to. They may not know Jesus. They may not know the beauty of creating a family, but perhaps we could demonstrate for them a new way to live not wrapped up in our own pursuits, not winning at the wrong game, but inviting them to step into a family that has their back, that cares for them, that is there for them when they need it. But I think the primary reason that we don't do this is because we're not even experiencing it ourselves. So let's get practical today. How about you? If life is shared with loving family, do you find that here? Is that itch scratched for you? Do you find meaning and community and purpose and relationships? Do you find people who are with you through life's ups and downs? Do you have trusted people that you can make a phone call to and lean into when all of the chips are on the table? And if not, what's stopping you? If you're not finding that here, what's stopping you from leaning into and finding it? And what will you do in order to seek it out? Let me just give you a a shotgun blast of opportunities of what it might look like. Maybe you need to sign up to serve somewhere. Kids ministry, guest services, worship teams. I've got some boxes in your worship folder there. We've got some building things going on. Maybe you just need to pick up and sign up for those things more often. We've got family fun night coming up here in two weeks. There's a sign-up sheet back there for stuff. Maybe you just need to lean in to begin doing something. Dads, especially, in order to feel connected, we need something to do, right? Showing up and seeing kumbaya may not scratch the itch for you. I understand that. That's okay. God made you that way. You're perfect. Pick up a hammer. It's great. Right? Maybe you need to decide to join a small group. Maybe you're going, we just don't know anybody. I've served, but I don't serve with people meaningfully enough. Maybe this fall, when we do life group signups, you just need to decide now that we're going to schedule our fall, we're going to schedule our time around meaningfully connecting with a group of people. We're not going to let excuses get in our way. We're just going to start there and to say, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to be. We're doing baptism next week. Maybe you just need to draw a line in the sand in your faith and say, I've never made a decision to make my faith my own, and I've been looking for a family where I felt safe enough to confess that and have that conversation. Maybe next week is your week. I'd be more than happy to have that conversation with you. Maybe you just need to set out some intentions as a family to go, you know what? Church is far too easily knocked off the agenda. We only show up when we have to, when we're scheduled to serve. Maybe we need to change our Saturday night plans to make sure that Sunday morning is an easy choice for us. Maybe you're going, man, I already do all of those things and I still feel disconnected. I already am present in all of those ways and this still doesn't feel like family. Let me challenge you with this. Take a long, hard look in the mirror. And instead of waiting for someone else to create it, be mature in your faith and step up to create it for someone else. I've been chewing on the same quote from Dallas Willard for about three months now, and I'll share it with you. He says this, it's the responsibility of every Christian to carve out a satisfying life under God's rule and reign, or else sin will start to look good. If we don't find family here, if we don't find loving commitment to each other here, we'll find it somewhere else. 
That may or may not be sinful. It's not what I'm saying. I'm merely saying that as disciples of Christ, we look at it as somebody else's responsibility to make life enjoyable, to make discipleship happen, to grow our faith. You might think it's my job to be in charge of growing your faith. You might think it's Pastor Greg's job, or it might be Miss Trista's job in growing your children's faith. But the bottom line is this. It's not. It's your responsibility to carve out a satisfying life under God's rule and reign. So what will you do about that, especially in the context of loving family? I'm going to invite the band to come up. We're going to sing one more song, and I just want to leave you with this idea. We've talked about a lot of categories, a lot of things in life. I think that most of us are resonating with this idea that we want to win at something that actually matters. And so as you reflect not only on today, but on this series, let me just challenge you. What are the things that are most taking away from you living life in the way that God has called you to? To arrive at the end of your days with something to show for it instead of just money in the bank. What are the things that you need to to adapt, to adjust, to change in order to win at life that matters for eternity, not just for here and now? Nothing would break my heart more, nothing would break your heart more than to arrive at the end of it all and to say, I've been playing the wrong game. I won, but it didn't ultimately matter because I abandoned relationships, I wasn't connected in my faith, I missed the opportunities that God had for me. I want more than that for you. I think that God has more than that for you, and I think that the church, not just this local church, but church in general, is the place to find the answer to that question. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I think that there's a piece of loneliness in all of us that only you can meet. God, I think that there's times and spaces and opportunities where we've all been too timid to fully step in, whether that's committing ourselves to you or committing ourselves to a group of people. And so, God, as we wrestle through what it means to be a part of your family, God, would you meet us there in the tension and wrestling? Would you give us your clarity? Would you speak to us about the ways in which we might more find that which we're looking for, that which you created us for, that we ultimately find in you? God, would you carve out a unique section of your kingdom here at the Porch Church here in Aurora and Centennial? Would you allow us to find and to foster those relationships, not that are easy, but that will grow and transform us to make us into the image of your son Christ more and more day by day? God, would you give us courage and boldness and tenacity and bravery to pursue these ideas, God, that we would win at life in a way that actually matters and means something for eternity, not just for here and now. Jesus, we love you. Heavenly Father, we praise you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do all of this in your name. All God's kids said.